guys, gals, and um, whatever else happens to be listening, welcome to episode 18 of Charlie's GeekCast, the show about me and the stuff I like. Today we're going to continue our look at Grant Morrison's Rock of Ages storyline running in the JLA title. But first, we've got a listener comment. And this one is left on the... uh, commented on the site from yet last episode. It's from Russell Bragg and he writes, Hi! I can't imagine where this storyline is leading us, but I am intrigued. Do you know if Rock of Ages is collected in a trade? I don't want to cheat and see what happens, so I'll be checking in again next episode. Like I wasn't going to anyway. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Russell. Yes! Uh, Rock of Ages has been collected a few times. The the f- easiest, well, probably not the easiest one, the oldest one, uh, there was actually a JLA Rock of Ages trade that came out not too long after this, ep- uh, not too long after these stories were re- were released. And then more recently, uh, DC has collected Grant Morris's entire JLA run in a, cl- a series of hardcovers, and then trade paperback versions of those hardcovers, because they're cheaper. Uh, that would be JLA Volume 2. Uh, both of the JLA Volume Two, you probably have an easier time of finding, but yes, it has been collected. You can find those in the stores. They're also available uh, if you do the online thing. The entire Rock of Ages storyline is available digitally on Comixology, which is actually how I'm getting the covers that I put with the show notes. So that's another great way to find them. You can download them that way. But that's it for this section. What we're going to do right now is play a couple promos, and I'll be right back with JLA number 13. The Bronze Age of Comics. An era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weeder also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Okay, JLA number 13 had a cover date of December 1997 and an on-sale date of October 22nd, 1997 with a cover price of $1.95. Now, this was part of DC's... How do I explain this? This month, DC... All of their covers, really, had a... was basically just a headshot of the star of the book. All of them. Um, if you if you go to any of the DC books this month, and which we'll be looking at shortly... It's all head cover shots. Books from the Helix imprint or Vertigo didn't do this. Uh, the Cartoon Network related books didn't do this. Some of the miniseries that they had going on didn't do this. But just about everything else, main on main ongoing titles, 
did this and uh, like I said I'll be going through this in just a little bit but yeah even the animated books even those did this so that's pretty cool anyway <clears throat> the title of this issue is Wasteland written by Grant Morrison penciled by Howard Porter inked by John Dell lettered by Ken Lopez, colored by Pat Garrahy, uh, separated by Heroic Age, the associate editor was Peter Tomasi, and the editor was Dan Raspler. And I should point out, now that I've gone through all that, the cover is Martian Manhunter's head, because of all the members of the JLA, he's the only one that wouldn't have had a comic book that out that month that would have had his face on it, other than JLA, even though he doesn't have really anything to do in this issue, believe it or not. Now, this story starts 15 years from now. Now, 15 years from now would be... Well, that if you go by 1997, that's basically December 2012. Um, so I guess technically you could look at that as... You know, I never thought of that before, but... Well, I'll get to that next when I go over the next issue. But basically, it looks like this is like the end of the world in December of 2012 which kind of fits with uh, the whole Mayan thing that we recently went through. We have lived past this, of course. Interesting. Anyway, 15 years from now, we start with an opening narration by Aquaman explaining what's been happening. Basically, it's exposition to let us know exactly what's been happening, you know, catch us up on the pre previous few issues. But while he's doing this exposition, we see an older Aquaman, basically in the same outfit we've seen him in, although his hair is much grayer. He's fighting off a octopus-looking guy wearing shorts, while a it appears some kind of a uh, power station in the middle of the ocean, or oil derrick, perhaps, uh, is in flames. He's trying to get away by attaching his hook to what appears to be some kind of floating ship, and is attacked by some crustacean-looking alien guy, but he doesn't have too much trouble fighting him, and throws him into one of the smokestacks on that same oil derrick, and then heads into the ocean himself, where he's being chased by some giant by the same giant ship. It's at that point that the uh, super speed ghost version of Aquaman that we had at the end of last issue comes into contact with the then current Aquaman, and they kind of fuse together. Don't worry, it's not as bad as it sounds. But basically, he becomes possessed... Uh, basically, this future Aquaman becomes possessed by his younger self. He's just about to be attacked by a bunch more of these alien-looking fish creatures when suddenly this giant whale, a mutated, colossic whale, uh, ends up coming up and attacking both the aliens that are after Aquaman as well as the ship that they came floating in. And we see the wreckage of the ship soon floating at the top of the water. Aquaman, Aquaman shows up at um, the dark, near the towers of a great dark city. It's Metropolis. The air is heavy or, I'm sorry, the air is rotten heavy with chemical rains and metallic soot and the smell of waste. It's a terrible city. It's all in flames. There's giant smokestacks, basically. Uh, we do see the Daily Planet. It's got a giant hole in it with some skulls on the side of it, which doesn't look good. But Aquaman climbs his way up, finds that his hand is old, looks older, and he realizes that he's in the future. And then he looks beyond his hand, and he sees... it's Well, what he sees is pretty terrible. What we've got is... It's the city of Metropolis, looking kind of futuristic. All the billboards have been replaced with these large signs of that show a picture of dark side and he's got some kind of scar on his face and it, they just say dark side is several of the people f walking around have these I don't know what to call them uh, they look like some kind of weird mask things we'll, we'll learn more about them in a little bit but basically these mask things look like they're just made up of a bunch of hands that are literally covering every part of a person's face. The eyes, the mouth, the top of the head, the back of the head, and it's just several hands covering up the face. They're 
basically drones, and there's a little antenna that's picking up some kind of information, obviously, about the drones. Meanwhile, above them are some giant sh spaceships and what look to be parademons coming out and blasting some of these people. Which, you know, that's not good. Um, with a loud kawoom, there's another explosion that gathers Aquaman's attention. And he sees one of these paratrooper guys, uh, or parademons. Well, no paratroopers, because it looks like a human that's become a somewhat of a parademon. Flies by with a, ah... And then all of a sudden we see a woman in armor fighting off and easily defeating several of these guys by throwing them around. And it turns out it's Diana. Wonder Woman is still alive. Or has come back. Depending on how you want to look at it. Apparently one of the swarm troopers went rogue and started attacking the others, so she started jumping in and doing the same thing. Unfortunately, while fighting off these guys... Wonder Woman and Aquaman find themselves between <laughs> between literally a wall and parademons. But fortunately, Wonder Woman doesn't have too much trouble busting through the wall, and they're going to make a last stand when suddenly Aquaman realizes that about 47 feet directly below, he can feel flowing water. So with one stomp of her heel, they bust through the concrete and the metal and the asphalt and crash into the sewer system below, where they come across that same swarm trooper who just happens to be Kyle. That's right. See, apparently, he uh, Kyle or, or Green Lantern arrived in what is basically a vacant mind, and by sheer force of will, he's jamming the anti-life signal that's turned his future self into one of Darkseid's zombie troops, which is how they're doing that. I think that's something to do with the big head thing. Uh, that signal that they're getting is the anti-life signal and allows Darkseid to control all of them. Meanwhile, they headed to Keystone, which is now the Keystone Ghetto Fire Pit construction site, and Flash is now in the workers' dorm. He's pretty shell-shocked. Uh, he's sick, out of shape, and can't feel the speed force. And basically what you hit, get is a red-haired fat man that needs a shave. And now, of course, the question is, Flash was the only one that could get them home, but now he can't run fast, so now what are they going to do? Soon, the, three, the, the four of them reach the JLA bunker in Detroit, gathering the remaining superheroes. Who, uh, what we see... This is who we have as the remaining superheroes on Earth. Wonder Woman, who we already met. Argent, a... Well, currently we see her... We could see her as a Teen Titan in our time, or 1997 anyway. But of the future, she's just a, basically a refugee superhero. Uh, Azteca, who has replaced Aztec in the armor... Um, Amazo, who apparently has been reprogrammed. Ray Palmer, who is no longer the Atom, but just a guerrilla fighter in occupied territory. Connor Hawk is the current Green Arrow, looking more like his father than ever before. And Aquaman. That's basically it. Now, what we can see on the table behind them, and this is pretty good, and I should be saving these for the, this for the notes, but I want to point this out here in case I forget. In the background, you can see the remains of several of the former heroes. You can see the cape of Mr. Miracle. You can see the last shred of Robin's costume. You can see Captain Marvel's armbands. You can see Steel's hammer. You can see Dr. Fate's helmet with a hole right in the forehead, indicating to me that he's been shot in the head. You can see Starman's cosmic staff. And what looks to be the remains of Superman's torn containment suit. And we learned here that they killed Superman. Well, technically. Superman died when Lois got turned into a Swarm Trooper assault drone to, as a sort of mercy on her, Superman burned out her nervous system. And after her funeral, since he had sworn never to take a life, he tore open his containment suit and basically spread across the universe, basically. He's dead. Now, technically, I wouldn't think that'd be very Supermanish, but on the other hand, it is very Supermanish. But I'll get more on that in the notes. 
Uh, so Superman's dead. Aquaman does ask about Batman, but apparently Desaad uh, killed Batman eight years ago. And then everyone else was taken to the moon to be processed. More on that next, next episode as well. But basically, Aquaman's in charge. And, well, so basically, Aquaman takes charge. They need apocalyptic time technology, and they need it now. So they decide that they're going to need to try to get to do something. Meanwhile, on New Genesis. Now, as you all as you all may or may not know, if you've kept up on your fourth world stuff, basically there was a war with the old gods, and the planet their their planet was split into two. There was Apocalypse, which was harsh, dark, dirty, covered in fire pits, and then there was New Genesis, which was basically a planet of paradise. Now, at some point, specifically during the Hunger Dogs graphic novel by Jack Kirby, New Genesis was basically destroyed, but the big cities still remained, and that became New Genesis. Well, here we've got New Genesis as a planet again, but now it looks like Apocalypse. It's got three fire pits on it, and it's completely destroyed. And we've got Darkseid talking to Desaad, and and talking about how even Metron voyaging through voyaging alone through the 28 dimensions in his quest for absolute knowledge was shattered against the rock of Darkseid's unyielding wheel, 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 will and now basically just does whatever Darkseid wants so that's what has happened to now we know why um, Metron tricked the JLAers into, into looking for the Philosopher's Stone Meanwhile, on Earth, the Sod updates Darkseid on what's going on on Earth. So far, the zombie factory on the moon has now converted 60% of the planet's sentient population to anti-life. Orion is still at large, though has no power. Uh, meanwhile, we also learn from Darkseid that Granny Goodness invaded the core soft drive of New Genesis, transforming their all-giving mother box into a grandmother box. So basically, she's a floating piece of technology that has no pity on anybody. Uh, and as, of course, Darkseid starts talking about the fact that he's going to turn this entire cosmos into his reflection so that it won't be until he sees the, the universe looking back at him as Darkseid that he will know fear, he also stomps on the last remaining flower on New Genesis. Speaking of Desaad, outside of where he currently is, or speaking of Desaad, we find out that his base of operations is basically Las Vegas, specifically the giant pyramid that they have in Las Vegas. Uh, what's that called? The Pyramid Casino. <laughs> How about that? So he, his current base is inside the Pyramid Casino, and the JLA or the remaining heroes, however you want to look at them, are going to try to break in and get to Desaad. So Argent modems the Atom into their system, while Kyle pretends he's Swarmtrooper 00B30 with human transient biomass for immediate emergency processing. But before he, they get too far, Desaad's systems pick up a security breach. Invasive microscopic entity inside the phone lines, I guess. So the at we catch up with the Adam who's going through. He's about to be attacked by some nanotech, nanovirus hunter-killer swarms. So he's going to try something he's never done before. He scales down to quantum size, which not only should make him too small to register on their sensors, but allow him to write in their atomic structure back to the SODs hardware. So while he's in, the heroes realize nothing's happening. It's too quiet. So... Kyle blast, uses his, I guess you could call it a gun, to blast through one of the walls. They go through, but again, nothing happens. There's nothing. No retaliation. Even the armor units that they see are empty. In any event, they keep going in, and they eventually enter the main room where they see Desaad talking to the Atom. Turns out... Adam is with the sod. 
who says that after eight years, four of them had decided psychofuge, exper experiencing all the physical and emotional pain of his victims. It ended two months ago. A battle of wits. Batman won. That's right, the sod is actually Batman. And the reason there was no retaliation was because, I'm guessing, because Batman kind of rescued them. And Adam has brought Batman basically up to speed. And at this point, Bruce puts on, uh, takes off his Desaad outfit and puts on a new Batman costume. It's not the one you're used to. Uh, it's very simple, though. Uh, first of all, I should point out that the two, the middle finger and the ring finger on his right hand are uh, have been, uh, let's say, trimmed can't tell. It looks like down to the last knuckle, maybe? So he can't use them very well. Anyway, he's missing parts of those two fingers, but he puts on his Batman costume. It, of course, fits like a glove, and the bat symbol is now a big yellow well, bat symbol, and the his utility belt looks a little more simplistic, but other than that symbol and the belt, everything else is completely black, although he do, does have the traditional mouth opening that he always has, except in Batman Beyond, and when Jean-Paul Valli takes over. Anyway, um, while they're in there, of course, they've got to do some more exposition. Argent finds Martian Manhunter's harness, the you know, the big red X that's on his chest. Apparently, it's hard to kill a shapeshifter when you get tired of torturing him, and Desaad put him in a particle accelerator, smashing every atom in his body one by one, and the energy from that lit Vegas for a year. Anyway, Batman is concerned because Darkseid's heading back to Earth to, to finish what he started 15 years ago, and he wants to build a global concentration camp. No language on the planet has a word for the immensity of the evil they're up against. So they've got to stop Darkseid. Meanwhile, to take up another page of dialogue, Batman has to tell everybody that uh, basically to stop Desaad, after all that time, he basically persuaded him to download his mind into a software cube. Now he's programmable, which is poetic justice. That has no bearing on the rest of the story. Um, at this point, out of nowhere, uh, Aquaman figures that the Mobius chair is the way they need to get home. So, Batman says that they'll, he'll help them, but time and distance don't come into it. Darkseid has boom tube technology. He's on Earth now, but they need to. See, but he suggests that they attack the Moon first. At that same moment in Metropolis, a giant boom tube opens witnessed, of course, by Orion, who's got a beard. Uh, we also see a, a giant ship, the same, sim well, bigger, but similar to the one we saw earlier, comes out. And all of a sudden, and from this ship, we get this loud announcing. And basically they say, On your knees for the Master. The hour has come. He has come. Who is beyond good and evil? Who is the prophet of anti-life? Who is the rock and the chain and the lightning? All-powerful, all-unforgiving, all-unconquering? Who is your new god now and forever? Darkseid is. That's cool. And that's how the issue ends. So after a couple of promos, I'll be right back with my notes. I won't let you get away with this! From here on out, everything changes. Learn what happens when you mess with the most powerful being in the universe! Please do You can't die! In the wake of the battle with Frieza, and the destruction of planet Namek, a new threat comes to terrorize Earth. The androids. I am the Prince of All Saiyans once again! Stay out of this one, Vegeta. He's mine! A young man with long black hair and a scarf tied around his neck. And 18. Female. Blonde. Not unattractive. Those are the worst villains the Earth will ever know! 
starting in December and continuing throughout the entirety of 2013. Join Donovan and Jesse as they chronicle Dragon Ball Z's most prominent sagas and battles. From the vicious villains. I'm bored. It's time for you to die. And the heroic good guys. I won't let you leave Earth till I make you pay for what you've done. Who are always... Bring it on! Always screaming. Kaioken Dungeon! <laughs> Wait! It's the legend! Soon you will be at his mercy. What mercy? The Next Dimension, dbznextdimension.libson.com You're about to find out what it's like to fight a real Super Saiyan. And I'm not talking about Goku. Hey everyone, Sean Engel here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other podcasters, palling around with Simon Cowell, prepping for the Mayan Apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh... Glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point, and since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you be here now. Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Milgram Opus US 1? Um, no, I'm gonna start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that supposedly is more impressive than the trucker who can receive CD signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still going to be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Mm, will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CP signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18th healer is just too goofy? Precisely. Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.lipson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US 1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weeder to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bowl podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. It's come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Okay. Notes on this issue. First of all, I just want to say, overall, the art in here is pretty phenomenal. Uh, everything except for Aquaman's uh, costume is basically a complete redesign. So, oh, maybe Argenta's, not Argenta's, uh, Azteca's costume. Although, you know, you got to put it on a girl. But um, we start off with Aquaman fighting these cool creatures. That was just cool. Uh, if you spend too much time reading his dialogue boxes, you completely miss the adventure. There's some weird special effect they, uh, that's used on the water, which actually does make, looks makes it look more like some of the, that sand art rather than actually water. But this is still early in digital coloring, so I'm sure it was experimental. Page seven, I guess it is, because I don't have a page number on it. Uh, it is cool to see Wonder Woman back. What this means for the current version of Wonder Woman at the time. You know, it must have really shocked people reading this story at the time, because obviously Wonder Woman was dead. But, you know, who knows how much might have been changed by the Philosopher's Stone. Right? Right. Anyway, page 8. Here's a superpower that we've never seen from Aquaman before. He can he can feel water. Actually, we might have felt it. He, he's felt, in JLA, he's felt the changing of the tides, but now he's actually able to sense where water is. I think that's kind of new. Uh, page 9. Yes, page 9. It's cool to learn, and I don't understand how the current Kyle could do it if the future Kyle couldn't, unless it was just something to do with his will had been broken by all the loss, maybe. But I think it's cool that Kyle's force of will is able to jam the anti-life signal that is causing so many people to be taken over. That's kind of cool. 
And um, from page 9 to the end of our time in the future, Wally's kind of whiny. He's, I, I guess it's still the shock, but he's like, I don't know how we're going to get home. Uh, pages 10 and 11, like I said, again, this scene, the, especially the top page where we see the remains of the costumes from various former members of the JLA and various superheroes, it's kind of sad, but it, you know, it just shows you how almost hopeless this future is. I kind of like the Adam's new costume. It's white with some stuff, you know. I don't know how to explain it. just, you know, it's been redesigned and it just looks really cool. Um, but what I was saying about Superman, now see, if he was forced to kill someone, I could see him doing that. Uh, some, you know, because, you know, gold kryptonite isn't around post-crisis and there's really isn't a way for him to just give up his powers too easily, especially in energy form. However, considering the state that the entire world was in, I would think that he'd find a way to try to save everyone first and then do that. It just seems kind of pointless to... I mean, he's almost sentencing the world to death by kind of giving up and killing himself. That would be like Doomsday rampaging towards Metropolis. Superman has to kill somebody, so he kills himself leaving Doomsday to rampage to Metropolis. You know what I'm saying? It it just... It just doesn't seem feel right for Superman to do that. At this point... I mean, I don't know that he'd commit suicide anyway, but especially not when Darkseid is, is in the middle of taking over Earth. I do, however, find it interesting that Amazo is now part of the JLA. The whole thing with uh, Darkseid turning New Genesis into another apocalypse is pretty depressing. They're really doing a good job of showing you how Darkseid is completely winning every battle. He he has destroyed New Genesis. He's taken over Earth. He's If he hasn't yet, he's about to find the anti-life equation. He's won, basically. And this is what it would be like if he won. Uh, let's see, moving right along. It's interesting to me how suddenly, though, uh, like on page 15, suddenly, just when they're needing it, is when the Adam realizes, after trying this before, he's realized, well, I guess I could try get it going smaller and get through. It's like, he's. it's almost like he's inspired, and I don't want to read too much into it, I don't know if it's inspired by, you know, Aquaman being all in charge, but it's like he's inspired to try something new. It just seems interesting that he would try something new that would work when it's always failed before. Then again, uh, depending on the last time he tried it, he may have tried it back when the regular Desaad was in charge, and this time, you know, it's Batman, so things could have changed. Who knows? Uh, let's see. I like how everyone is expecting some kind of a trap when there's no counterattack to their breaking through. I also like page 16 when Wonder Woman but, uh, goes through and says after, well, after they've decided that they have to go to plan B and Kyle has to bust through one of the walls with his blaster she says, I see, suddenly it's a suicide mission and Aquaman responds with, we're the Justice League Diana, we don't do suicide missions which I think is interesting considering not too long ago he didn't even want to be part of the Justice League so I, I think it's cool that he's become so big on it also I'm wondering Amazo's not with the group here so why couldn't Kyle get his take uh, the ring back He's maybe because it's a, not really a real ring I don't know Amazo's got a Green Lantern ring though you know to imitate the powers of the Justice League so I don't know who knows um the fact that Batman survived doesn't surprise me too much because of the era of Batman we're looking at, especially with Grant Morrison writing it. The scars on him are pretty impressive, though. He is covered. Like I said, he's missing part of two fingers. He's got scars across his face. He's got scars across his arms and chest. You can see even more scars across his back, like he's been 
whipped or something. Keep in mind, as we've just said, he's spent about eight years being tortured by the sod. Surprised he didn't snap, really. Uh, and it's only ended two months ago. Of course, yeah. So it's just amazing that he's still functioning at all. I do like this new Batman costume, though. It looks really cool. Uh, you know, it's your typical Batman costume. It just has a few changes, and I think it looks really cool. Whatever. Um, and then, of course, moving right along, last page is the fir the last page is the first time we see Darkseid in all his glory. I guess you would call it. Every other time in this issue, we saw the posters with his head. And when we saw him on New Genesis, he was always in shadow. Basically, all we saw was like his arm or his foot crushing the flower, but you, or he was in shadow. This is the first time we've seen him in all his glory. And basically, he doesn't look that different, other than, like I said, he's got the scar across his on his face, basically over his right eye. And he's traded in the blue of his typical costume for all black. And let me tell you, it looks even cooler. This is Dark Side. You, I mean, you're almost scared looking at him on the comic page. I can only imagine if you saw this in real life. That's it for my notes. Let's look at what else was going on in the DCU this month. Like I mentioned, this month was the covers month. Was the head covers month. Um, Action Comics number seven forty has a a face that's kind of obscured by darkness, but you can see two eyes and some fangs. This, I believe, is a monster that Superman fights in the in the story. Uh, Adventures of the DC Universe number 9 is a Flash story, so you've got an animated-looking version of the Flash where he's got that giant head that he has had in the Silver Age when he was supposed to get extra smart. Don't know the story on that, so I haven't read that, so I don't know. But I'm guessing this might be some kind of a DC Adventures-type adaptation of that story. Um, Adventures of Superman 553 has... Features the head of Scorn, the big blue monster that escaped from the bottle city of Kandor back when Superman was first getting his energy powers. Uh, again, like I said, uh, just as an example, I'm not, I don't know what happens in it, I'm not really looking at it, but Am Animaniacs does not have a head cover. Uh, right now it looks like Dot has some kind of three-eyed lizard thing. Aquaman number 39 has a awesome looking picture of Aquaman with some fish flo floating by his head while well, swimming by his head Azrael number 36 I bet you can't guess whose head is on the cover of that issue Batman number 549 believe it or not has the head of the penguin drawn by Kelly Jones it looks gross um, Batman and Robin Adventures number 25 has Batman's head on it um, again this isn't your typical Batman book it is, you know, it's based on the cartoon, or the animated series, sorry. So usually those kinds of books get, take, you know, don't have to, don't participate in these things, but this is, it's based, it's a, well, it's drawn by Ty Templeton, who does a very good job of staying on model with Bruce Timm's model style, but it's basically Batman's head in shadow. It's really cool. And mostly all you can see are the whites of the eyes. As you, as you do. There was a Batman Phantom Stranger book. Issue 1 came out this month. Number 2, or issue 2 of Batman and the Predator, the third volume, came out this month. Legends, Batman, Legends of the Dark Knight, issue 101. This also has a Batman cover, but it looks like, and I haven't read it, and I don't know what happens in it, but it's uh, it's almost like what you would expect Batman to look like if Steel had made his his made had made his, was wearing a batman mask instead of a superman mask except it looks like there's blood coming out of one of the eyes as if it was a tear it's kind of weird um batman shadow of the bat number 69 is batman's head again except this time it's a skull in the mask um batman long halloween number 13 now this is a mini series or a maxi series so 
it doesn't count as far as the head head covers. Uh, this is October, so it is the Halloween issue. It's also the final issue of the Long Halloween, and you can tell Two Face was the villain on the in the issue because half of the it's a jack o' lantern. Half of it's fine, and the other half looks like it's from last year, and there's like maggots on it, and it's it's falling apart. Anyway, uh, Book of Fate number 11, which I don't usually mention Book of Fate, but it's got fate on the cover. Uh, Catwoman 52 has, well, Catwoman on the cover. Challengers of the Unknown. Now, I don't know much about this era of Challengers of the Unknown, but it's whoever the guy is with the hat. He's wearing glasses, and it looks like it's got Batman's symbol reflected off of one of the lenses, so I'm guessing Batman's in that book. Creeper number one has the Creeper on the cover. Detective Comics number 716 has Batman on the cover looking pretty ticked off. Flash number 132 has a, well, has Flash on the cover. It's pretty cool, though. Uh, unlike some of them where they're, where the hero's just kind of staring at you, this one it looks like they've just zoomed in on his face while he's running. So he's kind of looking up and to the right. But it's cool artwork by Stephen by Steve Lytle. Green Arrow number 127 has a cool picture of Connor Hawk as Green Arrow. He's staring at you. He looks pretty pissed. And he's holding up one of his arrows, and the light is glinting off of the point of it. So that's cool. And the mood lighting on that cover is awesome. Green Lantern number 93 has Kyle, well, smiling at you. Uh, holding up his hand so you can see his ring, which is providing the light for his face. It, too, looks really cool. Uh, Hawk and Dove. Remember that miniseries we pointed out before? It's not it does not have to participate in the head covers. Uh, and Hitman number 21. Well, Hitman's on the cover, smoking a cigarette, and he's also holding up a drink of some kind so that you can see that. Impulse number 32. Um, in true impulse faction, uh, in true impulse tradition, it is impulse looking at you, but he's making a silly face, sticking out his tongue, holding his mouth open, kind of crossing his eyes. Jack Kirby's Fourth World number ten is basically Dark Side, as drawn by Walt Simonson, just kind of not really looking. He's kind of looking down. Um. Legion of Superheroes number 99 is a beautiful um, Alan Davis cover as he draws I don't know her post-zero hour name but she was triplicate girl in Classic Legion and basically you've got one of them focused in the middle and on one side you see half the face of one of the other of one of her triplicates and on the over the other shoulder you see the other one. And of course to play on the whole you know, devil on one shoulder, angel on the other, one of them's kind of happy the other one's kind of set, upset. Uh, Legionnaires number 55 has Chameleon Boy on the cover. Kind of smiling at you. Flirty-ish. The Life Story of the Flash hardcover came out this month. I think I mentioned before that you know, uh, that Mark Wade and Brian Augustin had left Flash for a year to work on this book. So it's here which means they've got a lot of spare time now. Uh, Lobo, number 46, has Lobo on the cover picking his nose with his pinky. Uh, Major Bummer, number 5, has the star of that title brushing his teeth and holding up a can of either beer or soda. Man Called AX, or Axe, number 3, I'm guessing that's Axe on the cover. I'm not sure, but he's kind of looking at you. Uh, Nightwing, number 15, has, well, Nightwing looking at you, kind of smiling while holding up a couple of his wing rings. His wing rings? I don't know what, they, what he calls those. Uh, Power of Shazam, number 33, has uh, Captain Marvel looking at us, and no offense to Jerry Ordway and his work, but it, Captain Marvel looks a little bit pissed and constipated at the same time.
Resurrection Man number eight. He's looking at us. His face is half normal human, and the other half is skeletal. Robin number 48 has a Tom Grummet version of Robin looking at us, and it looks like they've done another, it's another one of those where they zoom in on some kind of action scene. He's looking kind of like he's in the middle of a jump, maybe, and you can see his hand holding his his bow staff over his head, or in front of his head. It looks really cool. Um, the first trade of the Amalgam Age of Comics is coming up, the DC Comics Collection, which apparently... Oh, I'm sorry, this is Return of the Amalgam Age of Comics, which is going by the cover, has another story featuring Amazon, which was a combination of Wonder Woman and Storm. Uh, the animated Dark Claw, which was a combination, of course, of Batman and Wolverine, but done as the animated series style. Super Soldier, which is a Superman-Captain America combo, and it looks like Man Bat on the cover, but I don't remember who combined, who they put together with Man Bat, so that one. Uh, Robin Plus Fang from, Scare, for, you know, Fang from Scare Tactics, which continues the known heroes teaming up with the Scare Tactics guys. Sovereign 7, number 29, one of the members of the team is beaten all to hell, blood all over his face, and at least one eye is swollen shut, and the other one looks like it wants to. Spectre number 60 has a eerie-looking painting of the Spectre, with stars all over it, including on his eyes. That's kind of eerie. Starman number 37 has Starman looking like he has better things to do than stand here to let someone paint his picture for a cover. Steel number 45 has him looking directly at us looking really upset about being constipated about, about Captain Marvel being constipated or it looks like he's trying to force one out depends on how you want to look at it Um, Superboy number 46 has a Tom Grummet cover and he's looking at us but he's upside down and smiling because it's Superboy and he has fun that way. Superboy and the Ravers number 16. I'm not sure who this character is. Maybe it's Dr. Phosphorus, but I don't know the titles or I haven't read the titles, so I'm not sure. But the cover shows a guy whose face is peeling off to reveal a glowing green skeleton underneath. Uh, Supergirl number 16 has a Gary Frank cover. The left half is Linda Danvers. The right half is Supergirl and it's just split down the middle to show her face. She doesn't look happy on either half. Superman number 130 has a Ron Friends drawing of, well, the current energy version of Superman, looking pretty upset with energy coming from his eyes. It actually looks pretty cool. Superman Adventures number 14 is a Rick Perchett cover of Superman's head. Uh, this one's kind of in shadows. It's very similar to um, some of... Well, let's see. How do you want to look at it? You know when they're doing the... You know if you watch Superman the Animated Series and they're doing the credits at the end and you got Superman kind of looking off. It's a painted thing by Bruce Timm and he's kind of in shadow, but all you can see is uh, the S-Shield. It's kind of similar to that, except it's by Rick Perchett and you only see the head and he's looking at you. It's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Superman the Man of Steel number 74 has a John Bogdanov version of Clark looking at us with his hair fallen down in the spit curl, and he's kind of lowering his glasses. It's very classic. Uh, let's see. Wonder Woman number 128 has a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, cover with, you know, Wonder Woman looking at you. Just looking pretty. Really. Zero. X-E-R-O. I guess that's zero. Number eight has a character looking at us. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking at here. It's, a, it's partially a guy with blonde hair. It looks like partially a guy who's had some of his face ripped off. Uh, the, the top half is a white dude that's bleeding with a, some kind of metallic bionic eye, and the bottom half is a black dude with an earring and a goatee. Okay, and Young Heroes in Love number 7 has one of the characters looking at us. Just, you know, looking at us. A um, couple other books, Terminal City Aerial Graffiti, or Aerial Graffiti number 2 came out, which has a 
pretty interesting looking cover. I'm, that's a vertical book, so I'm guessing that's for mature readers. This was also the week or the month that they had Tangent Comics, which was an alternate reality where all the heroes are completely different, featuring the Doom Patrol, Green Lantern, the Metal Men, Nightwing, the Sea Devils, the Secret Six, the Atom, Flash, and the Joker. And this was also the month that Unlimited Access started up, which was the, I believe, third crossover between Marvel and DC. Uh, this one was put out by DC. Uh, but this was issue one of Unlimited Access came out this month. And because I just realized I forgot, we've got ads to look at real quick. Okay, the inside front cover has a picture of a bald man with some gothic-looking paint on his face, and it says, Meet the Root of Our Evil, and it's an ad for Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero for the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation by Midway. It's a mature-rated game. Uh, let's see. Uh, next ad is across from page four, and it's again the elephant dunking the guy into the big bucket of water, I guess it is, and it's another, it's the ad for Mellow Yellow, which, since the last time I um, did, did uh, recorded one of these episodes, I found out Mellow Yellow is still available. Huh. Um, next up is an ad for the fact that you can now purchase Batman and Robin on video. Uh, the cover, the, ac the actual ad looks kind of cool. It's the um, cover to the video, of course, but it looks like it's covered in ice. Pretty cool terrible movie, but a cool ad. Uh, let's see. Moving right along. Next we have a Twix ad. He who unwraps the Twix gets both bars. It's not just safe. It's the law. Okay. Um, two for me, none for you. Actually, now that I say that, I think I remember that ad campaign. Two for me, none for you. But yeah, they used to come in the Twix. I guess they do still do, but um, yeah, Twix come in two bars wrapped in one thing. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, the next ad is another Coke ad, and this time instead of playing baseball or basketball or riding a bike, it's football. And it looks like they try to get NFL teams without saying it's NFL teams. Uh, of course, they're always chilling on the turf, or always chilling the turf, and it looks like, based on the colors, it looks like it would have to be a Kansas City Chief, specifically number 44, uh, running ragged over the entire Miami Dolphin defense, all with weird proportions. And uh, I normally, even to, to this day, that would actually make sense, except I don't know that the Kansas City Chiefs could run that well against the Miami Dolphins even though the Dolphins are pretty much poor right now. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, let's see, next up is... What is this? It's an ad for the C3D Imaging System by Checkmate. Little Red Riding Hood just wet her pants. Basically what you're saying is you got your TV screen, you got a wolf, and the mouth of the wolf is coming out of the TV. It says, don't laugh. You just might wet yours when you see the in-your-face 3D effects that Checkmate C3D Imaging System adds to your video games. Connect C3D to your TV and game system, and bam! Images explode out of the screen while awesome visual depth sucks you right into the game's environment. Best of all, C3D works on any video signal from any source. So if you can see it on TV, you can see it in 3D. Think you're ready for something this wild? Call now for the C3D dealer nearest you and tell them the big bad wolf sent you. And basically it looks like a big box, maybe similar in size to a VCR, with remote control and big clunky glasses. Now, they're just getting to this point now. I can only imagine how, the, well, how good this looked in late 97. But, you know, I'm sure it was expensive too. Uh, the next page is Watch This Space, number 70. And this is basically similar to like the uh, what Marvel used to do with their bullpen bulletins, just to kind of let you know what's going on with some of the other people working there um, 
And since it is October, they're basically using that pumpkin from the cover of Long Halloween to illustrate that it's time for Halloween. And let's see. And of course, at the bottom, it has a list of all the other comics coming out this month, which we've already been through. Although it does tell us some of the stuff that's happening. Uh, Adventures of Superman is Metropolis. Population, negative one, negative two, negative three. Aquaman 39, Tsunami versus the evil Rhombus. Batman the Long Halloween 13, Holiday Revealed. Batman and Robin Adventures number 25, Close Encounters of the Bat Kind. Oh, I should also point out Batman and Robin Adventures number 25. That was the last issue of the series. Uh, the following month, I believe, is when they start doing the uh, in-between years, I think it's called. I'll have to look. Oh, we'll see it. Secret Years... Lost Years. Anyway, it's the last issue of that series. Then they do like a five or six issue mini series to span the difference between, or to span the years between Batman and Robin Adventures and the updated version of the Batman cartoon as shown on WB. And then they relaunch with the Batman Gotham Adventures. So we'll actually get to see some of that. Uh, Challengers of the Unknown number 11, Gotham Ganders. Like I mentioned, Batman's in it. Uh, JLA 13, Darkseid wins. See? Uh, Lobo 46, Headless Main Man. Looney Tunes number 35, Daffy, International Duck of Mystery. Major Bummer, which actually kind of works because I believe right around this was shortly after Austin Powers came out. Major Bummer number 5, Called the Universe's Mechanic. Uh, Supergirl 16, Power Spice Girl, and Young Heroes in Love. Number 7, Not-So-Secret Identities. So that's kind of cool. I wish I had seen that before we went through the Elseworlds. Oh, well. Uh, next up is a subscription offer. Subscribe to any 12-issue title for just 18 bucks, And it uses that cool uh, JLA cover from that Secret Files, uh, where they're all standing there smiling and looking to our right and if you happen to subscribe to any of the titles listed on here you get a set of five free blank DC Universe greeting cards all you have to do is subscribe to Nightwing, Sovereign 7, Supergirl Titan, or Teen Titans, The Power of Shazam, Wonder Woman, JLA, Jack Kirby's Fourth World or Azrael uh, and you can either subscribe it for you or for a friend or you know give it as a gift and you get five free cards with every subscription ah, not bad next page is an ad for the return of Clayface in Batman 550 this issue introduces Chase investigator to extra, extra normal activities this is by Doug Minch Kelly Jones, John Beatty, J.H. Williams III, and Mick Gray. Also coming in November, Batman Prodigal, collecting the stories in which Dick Grayson wore the mantle of the bat. Which was recently talked about on um, Hey Kids Comics, so I suggest going over and checking them out. They're at twotruefreaks.com. But yeah, it's, you know, I don't like Kelly Jones' art. The Batman and Chase on here look terrible. Clayface kind of being gooey it kind of works with his art so it's kind of cool looking and then that's it. inside back cover is an is a gap ad for gap kids and the back cover is for the same um, die cast looking small statues of several characters from Batman's history uh, series one series two and series three uh, with Got, uh, with you know images from the golden, silver, and modern age. So, that's it for this issue. Next time on an all-new episode, we get to find out if the if the <clears throat> if the future JLA is able to stop Darkseid, and if they're able to save the future. So, join us again next week as we look at JLA number fourteen. Until then. Well, even after that, I am Charlie. I will see you next time. This has been an episode of Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. The show's website is www.charliesgeekcast.com, where you'll find notes and images for each episode. 
please feel free to leave a comment there or email the show at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com and I'll read them on the air. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. I also have another show called Superman of the Bronze Age where I cover Superman comics published between 1970 and 1986. You can find that at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com. Charlie's Geek Cast is an I Don't Have a Fake Company name production. All images and music used are copyright their respective copyright holders. Thank you for listening, and God bless. <laughs> <laughs>